Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 131, our scheduled guest will be the uh, blogger who calls herself uh, Dr. Lisa. She has two interesting blogs. One is about taking life and running with it, and the other is about being a patient herself. And I am having some broadcast problems already, so this may be even a short show tonight because uh, just not working as well as I thought. But we will try and see what happens here on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. Yes, that's right, bringing you the uh, best that medicine and social media has to offer. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show, live on Blog Talk Radio. And um, well, welcome you to the show here this evening. I am having some uh, major technical problems, so I will continue working on it as I am doing the... Uh, doing the opening stuff here. Uh, I am, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike, but uh, uh, you, my friends, can call me Dr. A. You can always find me at dranonymous.com. dranonymous.net, which brings you to my Facebook fan page. And uh, dranonymous.org, which uh, takes you to my iTunes page. Today is Thursday, uh, December 3rd, 2009, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Uh, and our guests will be joining us here in a little bit. Will be the uh, blogger Dr. Lisa. And as I'm continuing to work on the technical difficulties here. I am multitasking here because I am multi-talented and hoping that I can get this thing working here. Um, I do want to thank our good friend Ramona for making uh, this suggestion uh, for Dr. Lisa to be on the show. Uh, she has uh, two blogs. She has uh, Call Me Dr. Lisa, Taking Life and Running With It, and uh, uh, at Call Me drlisa.blogspot.com. Not only great writing, but uh, good pictures over there. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, especially some of her uh, uh, pictures outside the uh, United States. And we'll talk about that. In uh, her first blog, going all the way back to 2006, it's called uh, Tale of My Left Foot Journey, My Journey Dealing with Liposarcoma in the Ankle. So uh, I think I have 
things going here. I was having some problems uh, earlier this week. Um, I think Time Warner was doing some maintenance on the lines around here. I was having some difficulty with that. Plus, my router died. I had to put a new router in. So I'm hoping that I have things going on here. Uh, plus, uh, following our talk with Dr. Leeds, I want to talk to, uh, want to share some thoughts about our good friend, Dr. Rob who announced on his blog yesterday at distractable.org that he was going to be taking a little bit of a break from blogging and social media for a while. So all that and a lot more. But first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again here uh, this evening. Uh, for those of you who don't know, yes, I am a real doctor. I am a family physician in full-time private practice here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And I've had this uh, show here for two years now. And usually I have a webcam here, but with my technical difficulty, there's no webcam here tonight. I even tried uh, to have the webcam over on Ustream, but that was compromising my connection as well. So we do have a chat room here this evening, but there's no uh, webcam. I apologize about that. Um, and I do want to give a big shout-out to the people in our chat room here. We have Girl007. We have friggin' Ben with a Q. We have Agent Merv. We have a guest. We have Ramona. And uh, we do have uh, the J-Man in our chat room here uh, this evening. So I think that I have things uh, all set here. Hopefully the connection will hold up <laughs> and not be dropping out. I uh, really appreciate the uh, chat room giving a heads up here. Uh, looking like they're having uh, the uh, good uh, audio levels there. So if anything changes... Let me know. I will take my break here, and after the break, we will have uh, Dr. Lisa here on the line. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a proud member of the Better, ne Better Health Network at GetBetterHealth.com, and also a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there at ProMedNetwork.com, and we will be right back. <laughs> And welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous Show, lowering your blood pressure one point at a time. And I do want to welcome on the line here our guest, Dr. Lisa. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lisa. Thank you very much. How are you doing there uh, this evening? I am well. Lovely uh, California. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, I uh, want to thank you for being on the show. I also want to thank our good friend Ramona for making the uh, suggestion for you to be on the show. I, I was able to you know, read some of your blog, and we'll get that into that a little bit. But uh, um, I'm very excited for you to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So um, why don't we just uh, – my first question here is um, – 
Uh, you, of course, are a, a pediatrician, uh, specifically a neonatologist, which we'll get into in a little bit. But uh, my first question is kind of simply this. You know, what, uh, you know I, we have a lot of our colleagues who complain every day, and you hear that too. But, uh, but uh, what brings you back to work every day? What, what, is, what, is cool, what is cool about being a doctor from your standpoint? Oh, I think what keeps me coming back to work every day is when you see babies, obviously, as, as a neonatologist, I take care of critically ill little babies, and I see them at their incredibly sickest, and then when we have former patients visit us as two and three-year-olds, and they come running down the hallway, and that is what keeps me going. Wow, that's, that's great. <laughs> I remember back of my uh, uh, my uh, NICU rotation back then, and uh, I obviously we just took care of the critical care patients, and we just didn't, uh, we didn't have the follow up uh, that you have, uh, and that's got to be very gratifying for you to. Uh, um, I, I always enjoy the term uh, NICU graduates, which I I thought is very cute. <laughs> yes, well, it truly is an ordeal that you should have a graduation from, and the parents as well. Because it's a long road for them all. Uh, so let me just kind of uh, kind of go back here a little bit. Uh, were you always uh, interested in uh, in medicine uh, growing up? I decided for I'm not sure if there was any good reason, but sometime when I was a junior senior in high school was when I decided that I would probably pursue a career in medicine. And so in college, I was a biology major and kind of just kept going. So is there anybody uh, in the medical field in your family or anybody um, that you had some uh, positive influence to guide you uh, in that direction at all? There's no no one in my family is in medicine, which is relatively unique for people in medicine. And I don't really remember early on why I thought that was the career path for me. I don't think there was any truly eye-opening moment that I said, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. And until once I was already in college, I was doing a medical ethics course. And that was when I, I we had to go to or we went to the neonatal intensive care unit in South Bend, Indiana, where I was in college, and I saw preemies for the first time and listened to the neonatologist there talk and how passionate he was about what he did. And I couldn't believe looking at a child the size of a big big sandwich that they could really survive. So that was when I decided for certain, yes, I am going to be good be a doctor, and I'm going to be a neonatologist, and I never varied from that course from then on. Wow. So you were in college at the time, is that right? I was in college at the time. Hmm. And uh, so was that during a semester where you had that experience, or was it just kind of a one-time thing that really hit you and says, hey, I think this is my calling in life? Well, it was we were taking a medical ethics class, and we went and visited, we went to a hospital ethics committee meeting and were taken on a tour of the NICU. 
So that was the first exposure. And then after that, my roommate and I set up a program where we then volunteered in the neonatal and pediatric intensive care units at the same hospital working with that same doctor. So it was the first exposure, and then I worked with him for the next two years. And by the time wow. I was done with all that, I was pretty certain that was where my future was going to go. Hmm. So what what uh, what drew you to that? I mean, obviously, you know, working with the patients there, but uh, um, was it kind of the ethical issues that is? I mean, because ethical issues are very fascinating uh, to me as well, um, especially with with that um, you know age and that population. Um, and it's easy to kind of get drawn into that, but that, that has to be kind of uh, tough work sometimes now, I would think. Oh, certainly. it's That's the toughest part of my job. But also one of the things that's interesting, and I think for me as a neonatologist as opposed to other intensive care fields, my personality is very well suited to intensive care, intensive care you know, rather than office visits, it was never going to work for me. So the intensive care works for my personality, but in neonatology, rather than any other intensive field, our patients are with us for months. So they have their acute period, and then we do see them through to discharge ultimately. So you have both the intensive aspects and then also the long-term development of relationships with the families. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. And then, um, and then the physiology is just fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, um, I learned a lot during my rotation about how the body works at that such young of an age, um, which is so unique to that age. You know, that um, obviously that's not something you ever see again in life. Uh, and it was it was. Uh, the intellectual part in learning how things work, uh, that was fascinating to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and I get questions a lot about um, the training process, about how you get to be a neonatologist. Maybe just kind of take me through um, as far as, you know, starting with medical school, graduation, um, you know, how long of a time does it take for training uh, to be a neonatologist? It's six years of training. So it's from after medical school graduation, so the four years of medical school, then a pediatric residency, which is generally three years, and then three more years of neonatology fellowship. And for you, did, did you do it in all in the same institution, or did you have to do your fellowship at a different institution? Or I did the, I did each step of my training at a different institution. So I did my residency at DC Children's and my fellowship in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then uh, something I was curious about. So in your fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, I would imagine there's some research and things, and uh, um, well, what is that experience like as far as, I don't know, going through a fellowship in neonatology? Um, that's something I never really knew about before. <laughs> so the 
board requires that you produce a paper while you're a fellow. So you have to have some evidence of scholarly activity during your fellowship, which requires that you do some research. I went to a program that was heavy into the research, and we spent two out of two years out of our three out of our three-year fellowship, primarily in the lab. And I did a basic science project and then also a clinical project in that two-year portion of my fellowship training. And it's a completely and totally different world. Uh, in, in what way? To be, the one thing that research teaches you is how many things you assume and what you take for granted. Trying to control all of your different variables to get the outcome that you ultimately want. You have to try to control all of that. And, and learning what goes into it so you can more effectively read the literature later on is not an unimportant side product of doing that much research. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Um, and has, has your field changed? Has, has neonatology changed since you left your fellowship? I mean, obviously, you know, aside from the research that's been going on, because pretty much it's the same type of um, physiology and, and that type of thing in your field, I presume. It is. There are there are constantly changes in in neonatology. It's actually a very young medical specialty in many ways. It's less, less than thirty, you know, about thirty years old as a specialty. Um, and we've seen big changes since the late 90s through to now with the advent of giving moms who are about to have preterm babies steroids, which helps to mature the baby so that they will do better after they're born. That's a, it's a, considered a different era. And everything that you talk about in neonatology is the, which era you're in, the pre-steroid or the post. So that was one big change. And then the most recent big change is the advent of a lot of fetal surgery. So we have specialized um, obstetricians who actually perform surgery on the fetuses before they're born, obviously, for various and sundry conditions, which has made things that were universally fatal now have a chance of survival. And I, I would presume that it's it's things like um, like heart problems and um, probably stomach or GI type of things. Is would that be correct? Or the most the two most successful fetal surgeries are for uh, a condition called the first one is for a condition called posterior urethral valves, where boy babies can have and they have a blockage in their ability to urinate. So they don't make amniotic fluid, their lungs don't develop, and they die immediately after birth. What the surgery is is they'll put in a shunt from the bladder into the amniotic sac, allowing the urine to drain out, and then their lungs can develop. And it saves wow. So that's 
the that's probably one of the biggest interventions. And the other is when you have twins, uh, when you have twin-twin transfusion syndrome, so the two twins have share blood connections, and they'll laser the connections. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's just that's fascinating. Um, uh, it's it, it's stuff that um, you know that I only read about, <clears throat> or that's maybe um, you may see in the media, you know, as far as television or something like that. But but you're actually seeing this. Um, I mean, are you are you involved with those cases, or or are you just you just kind of see it after, or you um, read about it afterward in the chart, or I guess I'm not sure. Do, do you have a role in some of those cases at all, or not? Actually, during the procedure itself, we do not have a role for the actual procedure. We take care of the babies once they are born. So it's the obstetricians do the surgery, and then once the babies are born, they become our patients. So we, however, all work together to decide which patients to offer the procedures to before the cases happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. So... So, so that that is um, that is a field that's been developing as far as uh, um, um, you know, surgery, basically before birth. I would presume. Mm-hmm. Yep, the fetal surgical field, and it's less than ten years old. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, um, and then you, you mentioned before the the, uh, uh, the, the pre-steroid and, and post-steroid era, um, and I'm presuming, and you correct me if I'm wrong, just to explain to everybody else, is that um, you know, when you're uh, if you're born too early, your lungs may not be uh, mature enough to survive. But uh, there there have been medications called steroids that could be given um, following birth to help the lungs mature, which would which would increase the uh, survival. Um, out of the womb. But the yes, the lungs. So the lungs are one of the major organs that are too that are too immature at birth. It's one of the major complications for premature babies. The steroids that I was referring to are actually given to the mom, who is in preterm labor, to help the baby when the baby is born. So you give the steroid to mom to help the baby because the baby will get it through the placenta. Mhm, mhm. And, and how long has it been? Months. How long has it been around now? Um, that been actively being done as far as a standard of care. It's been the standard of care since between ninety-five to ninety-seven. Okay, okay. So not that long either, relatively speaking. No, not that long. Hmm. Um, and something interesting, and uh, um, and I might put you on the spot here, um, but uh, um, I guess with these new um, uh, past mirror guidelines that have been um, announced in the past, you know, two or three weeks, um, I've heard a lot of people, especially um, OBGYNs or and even pediatricians, saying that um, you know not. Uh, uh, Doing the pap test as often uh, would decrease the chance of other type of testing or ultimately things like preterm delivery and preterm labor. Is that correct? Mm, 
I can't say I'm the most up-to-date on that literature, but the more that the more that is done to the cervix, so the more often that you have pap smears, you have the abnormal ones, they, further testing is done, the more likely a mom is to have an incompetent service, which is a major cause for preterm labor. So I could imagine that that's where it's coming from, but I can't say that I'm, that's exactly my area of expertise. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. That's okay. I just, no problem. I just, uh, I, I heard that uh, yeah. kind of a, um, a rationale, which I kind of believe, you know, if you do colposcopy and biopsy and things and, and you do procedures on the cervix, I guess that would possibly increase the chance for uh, for preterm uh, uh, delivery. Um if uh, if you're just joining us, our guest here is uh, Dr. Lisa, and her uh, one of her blogs is called "Call Me Dr. Lisa" over there on Blogspot.com. Uh, and uh, let's kind of uh, switch gears here a little bit. That's something okay. I'm very curious about um, is uh, getting into your blogging life. Okay. Um, and uh, w- w- when did you first uh, learn about blogs? Know about blogs? W- w- when did, when was your first experience with that? Uh, my first experience with blogging was when my friend Kim, who blogs at the House of Prince, started her blog when she was pregnant with her first child. So she, that was the first time I really understood what blogs were, and the first blog I ever followed was hers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when I was diagnosed with cancer, I, after... Kim, the House of Prince, suggested that I start a blog to keep people up to date. And after having several conversations with everyone saying, telling people the same stories over and over again, people who I knew cared about me and wanted to know, but I couldn't tell the same story over and over and over again. So I started my blog to really just to keep my friends and family up to date while I was going through that experience, the experience of being a patient. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. was when I started the Tale of My Left Foot blog. Yeah, and I was able to uh, to check that out there a little bit. Um, did, did you know what you wanted to write about uh, when you first started? I, I guess you kind of said it already. You just wanted to keep people updated. Um, was there an approach that you took as far as, you know, this is what I'm going to share, this is what I'm going to write about today? I at the outset, I really, I didn't think about it. I knew there were things I wasn't going to share. It was going to be too personal to share. But pretty much the people who were reading my blogs knew me. My blog early on knew me personally. And it was a different, uh, it was a different blogging experience, I think, than what it ultimately morphed into. And I just wrote whatever, whatever was on my mind at the moment, what I was going through. Pretty quickly, however, I became connected with several other medical bloggers and cancer bloggers and developed a small little support network of people who were going through similar things. And and it was actually, for me, outside of my immediate support network, it was one of the, one of my better support networks because people that you actually can get to know someone pretty well just by reading what they write in a way. 
And can you uh, can you take us back a little bit and uh, tell us about your diagnosis and uh, how you found out about it and um, you know just kind of reflecting on on some of the stuff that you wrote in in, in your blog. Sure. I well, I initially found out about it because I had a mass in my ankle, just a bump in my ankle that was painful and causing me to have a very abnormal gait. So I wasn't walking well, which was throwing my back off, which is why ultimately I thought I have to have this dealt with. And uh, no one initially thought it was anything more than you know, just a bump. We had it removed and the pathology came back as some crazy form of sarcoma that I had never heard of. And they were at that moment at that moment, based on that initial diagnosis, the recommendation was it was an untreatable form of sarcoma. So it was radiation wouldn't treat it, there was no chemotherapy. So the recommendation was to amputate which I wasn't okay with. Right. And so, <laughs> for obvious reasons, I didn't, sure. like I didn't like that option. And you know, as I being being in the medical field, I was lucky enough to have a one of my best friends from residency is a pediatric sarcoma specialist. So I called her and said, "This is this is the diagnosis. This is." Um, this is what they're saying, what do I do? And she was like, well, first we get a second opinion, send everything here, and go from that. So she's at Sloan Kettering, and that is how I wound up going to Sloan Kettering to get my treatment. And what was the, uh, what was the, the treatment? How long was it, and, and how was that experience for you? Um, I had a total of three surgeries. The first one, there was still cancer at the margin, so I had to have a second one, a wider re-excision, and then a third surgery for a skin graft because there wasn't, because um, there wasn't, you know, enough skin to cover the hole. So three surgeries, and then um, six weeks of radiation. After that, and all total, I was in the hospital for two and a half weeks, about two and a half weeks in a wheelchair for two months and about eight months of not being able to walk, more or less. Wow. So I obviously wrote a lot about how that all impacted me. And my, for me, my biggest portion or my biggest hurdle when I was going through all of that was the fact that I was immobile because I'm a very active person and I did not do well with that. <laughs> so I wrote a lot about complaining about being immobile and working to not be immobile anymore and what I was doing. And and tell me about the 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 uh, the connections you were making through your blog or the or the connections that people were making with you uh just with you sharing your experience through your blog. Well, every Every so often, I will get someone who finds my blog by searching liposarcoma in the foot and ankle, and there'll be people who are newly diagnosed or have family members newly diagnosed with the same with the same disease. And so they'll they'll write me and ask, 
know, my opinion and what I went through, and I'll help, hopefully can help provide them some support. But I also found this, camp, this cancer blogging network uh, primarily through the assertive patient is a cancer blogger that I started following. She actually has breast cancer, but is a lovely, lovely woman who, um, who had this whole big group of women who all are going through various different treatment for various different cancers and help to support them. So, um, there have been there's some interesting links through all of that, through all of these different people who, in the blogosphere, it's a fascinating world, actually. Yeah, and people who have uh, who I've talked with before is that um, you know just the internet in general has really connected people um, with whatever kind of disease states they have um, in ways that they have would never have done in the past ever, um, whether if it's cancer or if it's diabetes or if it's um, another. Um, you know, medical condition. Um, and I guess it was uh, you know, pretty comforting for you and comforting for other people um, to connect and say, hey, I am not the only one out there that is going through this. I have other people who um, are going through something similar or something uh, same that I'm going through and, and able just to talk with them. Absolutely. I found one thing that I had issue with as I was going through my process was traveling across the country for treatment and feeling like that was, you know, seemed crazy to me, yet I felt comfortable doing it because I had my friend there and I had a lot of friends on the East Coast, so I didn't feel alone, but I was like, this is kind of a weird thing to do to fly to New York for treatment. But I found actually several other people who had who had liposarcoma, which is uncommon, and in the you know in the foot and ankle, it's really uncommon. Uh, who had also done the same thing, and we're seeing the same doctors I was in New York, and people from Ohio, woman from Ohio who's who blogs as well. There's a woman from, um, there's another woman I met from the Northeast who was doing a similar thing, a woman from Texas. So you sort of realize you're not actually alone. You have something so uncommon that other people, you know, there aren't that many other people and there certainly was no support network for people to do this. So the internet can provide that. Yeah, um, and I know uh, we have a we have a great chat room going on right now, um, and uh, they're, they they want me to jump to the ending. Uh, uh, and, <laughs> I and saw I that. To, uh, I want to. I do want to ask you about this triathlon. Uh, so, were you were you a runner even before this, before your diagnosis, or not at all? Absolutely not. No, I was not. So, so then, how did you come up with the idea of hey, I want my goal is to is to uh, train and complete uh, your first triathlon? It started with, like I said, one of my big issues and the thing that I had the most trouble with while I was sick was being immobile and not being able to do all of the things that I loved to do. And 
and I would think about the things I wanted to do. I wanted to go, I wanted to go hiking. I wanted to go skiing. I wanted to go do whatever it was I was wanting to do that I couldn't because I was sick and not able to move around. And then I would think, you know, I haven't really been able to ski at the level I used to be able to ski because I'm not in as good a shape as I used to be. And I can't really do those things the way I used to because I'm not in that good a shape right now. So I committed that as soon as I was able to allow, I was able to be allowed to exercise, I would exercise and I would get back in shape. I was always a swimmer. So I started swimming early on. Um, and that was one of the best things I could do because it was a lower impact on my ankle. At the beginning with a post-radiation ankle, you can't really be too active on that. So I started swimming and then and working out more and more in the gym and doing more and more cardio. And I thought, I'm going to start running. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea, but I did. <laughs> so I started running. And around then, this was about a uh, year after my surgeries was when I started trying to run, running more. At yeah, a, how did that time. go? Well, I started having a lot of numbness in my foot. My foot would yeah. go completely numb, and then I would have I would have a foot drop. And I wrote uh, I wrote about that on my blog. I can't remember what I titled it. My numb foot and denial. I wrote a long post about denial, about the denial I was in, about why they were saying I had my foot was going numb. Uh, so that I had then spent a couple, I had to spend about three to five months working on just those numbness symptoms. My surgeon felt like they, it was basically because of the lack of veins in my foot, I was having sort of... Um, the swelling was causing almost a compartment-type syndrome, meaning there was too much swelling and it was compressing the blood flow to my foot. So we had to work for a while to get through all that. So that was another, like, six months of sort of having to slow down in my pursuit of getting back in shape. By the time I was done with that, I, I was, had to be on a treadmill for a certain period of time to chart my progress was what my physical therapist and orthopedist were having me do. So then I was like, well, I can run now. And so then I started running. So now I'm running and I'm swimming. And okay. my friends started saying, well, when are you going to do a triathlon? You used to bike when we lived in D.C. You used to bike all the time. This is natural. And I was like, but it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's natural, but crazy. And... Um, my good friend committed to do a sprint triathlon. It's actually the one I did with him. And I was like, oh, all right, those distances I can handle. It's half mile swim, 12 mile bike, three mile run. I was like, I can probably conceive of all of that. And sure, I'm in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> kind of like that. I actually think the moment I decided I was going to do it, I was sitting in a bar having a margarita with a friend talking about it, and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit. And I texted my friend. I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm doing the triathlon. And the next day, I was like, oh, ah, so there it is. So it all comes down to margaritas. A margarita, and yes, I will do a triathlon. And then, yes, you will do a triathlon. <laughs> yeah. And wow. 
five months later, I did. Um, and, and where was that at? Where, where did that take place? And where was the triathlon at? I did the Hanson Dam Triathlon. The Hanson Dam is in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California, near the city of Sunland, if you're okay. familiar with the area. But it's uh, it's a reservoir and, the, and a large open water park. And we did, the swim was actually in the dam. Wow. Which was disgusting and murky and <laughs> water was gross and I don't even want to think about it. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it was not fun. And then the bike was, there's a big golf course around there, so sort of around the whole complex and then through up over the river, which is over the dam. There's kind of a berm along that where we did our... We did our bike, and then it was a trail run through the hills around that area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did the whole thing, including all of my transition time in an hour and 22 minutes, which mm-hmm. put me in the top third for women of my age. Wow. So hmm. Barely. I think I was like 22 out of 78 women of my age, <laughs> but top third. <laughs> Uh, wow! I and, and I I did enjoy reading your post, and I encourage people uh, in the chat in the chat room and uh, on the archives to 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 read the post. Why I'm doing a triathlon, uh, and uh, that uh, uh, I know that was probably very cathartic for you in saying, "Hey, why am I doing this?" And you know, it's probably reinforcing and you know and. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, reading the picture, uh, seeing the pictures above, above that post about your actual triathlon experience, and it's very inspiring as well. well thank you. It was, um, it was a cathartic experience, and it's part of why I stopped blogging at the tail of my left foot after that experience, because it really felt like that journey that I had been on of being a patient and going through all that was done. That I, you know, went through something awful and had my mobility and my strength taken away from me and regained it in this way that was very demonstrative. And then I was like, all right, I'm done telling that story. I don't want to be in that space anymore Mm -hmm. because I don't want my life to be about the fact that I had cancer and that's what I went through. That story is really... Mm -hmm is complete in my mind. Mm-hmm. Of course it's not because as we followed for ten years, but it's So so the, the the status of your cancer right now is I guess you're officially in uh, remission. Is that, that would that be I the am correct officially term? No evidence of disease is the term they use, but yes. Great. No Great. evidence of disease, yes. I have I will be in New York in January for my next set of scans and that will be the three year scan, so Hopefully I will stay in that state, but all signs say I will. So. Great, great. Yeah. And and, uh, and you said it before that that uh, you felt like that you, you uh, completed that journey, completed that story, but but you felt like you had more to share, and and that's when you started the the Call Me Doctor Lisa blog. Right. Yeah. I had by by that point after I had been blogging for about two and a half years. 
And I was starting to write about more about my life aside from outside of the world of being a patient and also you know, my take on some things going on in medicine and um, I'd given a lot of thought to how to be a physician and have and work as long hours as we do in as under as much pressure as we have and then how to keep your life in balance and how to keep everything sort of going and those were the sort of themes that I was starting to think about and what I wanted to write about. And so that's why I felt like it needed to be in its own place. Henceforth, the Call Me Dr. Lisa blog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I ask anybody, especially physicians who blog, um, do, do, does, your, does your employer know that you have a blog out there? Yes, they do. My boss, know, the, my boss knows and... Uh, our department chair knows, and a few of the other, you know, a few of the other physicians. And what, what's their uh, reaction been to it? Uh, the few things that they have read, generally the feedback is pretty positive. I am careful to maintain a certain degree of privacy and anonymity. Obviously, you know, I use my my name and my picture, but I never use my last name. It's what I do in blogging. So my last name is nowhere to be found on my blog. And that was something that was important to you from the start, even yes. even with your uh with your uh, cancer patient blog. From the very beginning. I well, especially when I started when I started that blog, the tail of my left foot blog, I didn't want my patients to be able to Google me and find out I was sick. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I, makes sense. I definitely didn't want that there. But then, and now as I write more about, you know, what happens in the hospital, I want to make sure that I protect my patients' privacy in the same way. So that is a, that is a big part, but... Uh, uh, you know, the feedback I have gotten has generally been positive for the stuff I write. Things that are more patient or hospital related, I will sometimes have have people read before I publish. Are there and are you aware? Are there other people in your institution or people that you're aware of that are your um, colleagues that you know participate in social media, whether it's a blog or Twitter or Facebook or any of that type of stuff? I have. A couple of colleagues at work that I know who are who are bloggers, who are on Twitter, who are on Facebook. So there are several people I know who are who are in the social media in that way. If Facebook is fairly ubiquitous now, it feels. I think half of my nursing staff are friends with me on Facebook now, and a lot of the surgeons. And so it's definitely there are a lot of us there. And I do put links on my Facebook account to my blog. So you, you can find it. If you know who I am, you can find your way to my blog. What I want mm-hmm. the outside world to not be able to Google me and find it. Yeah. Which I occasionally uh, try to do to make sure I've succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> um, has any patients found, uh, found this blog or the other blog? Yes, they have. 
And uh, when they told you about it, what what was your reaction? Well, it was interesting because um, there's a post on the Tale of My Left Foot blog that's titled, Thank You for My Life, which is about a specific a specific family whose babies I cared for, who, and she actually found it and read it, <laughs> which is interesting. Not, she didn't find it looking for it. She found it because a close family friend of mine was a patient in my unit who I would never care for because they're like family to me, but they were. She was a patient in my unit, and the parents started a blog. They follow me. They follow my blog on their blog. So I made them do the same thing, which was not use my last name, but I was okay with them having the link there. So this family actually found my blog from that link and then found this post, and then emailed me, thanking me for what I wrote about their child, <laughs> which was interesting because I felt a little badly and no one else would no one else would know cuz I when I write about specific families you would have to really you would have to know them very well to know that's who it's about it was more right. generic and she knew this she knew the situation she knew what had happened why she knew it was her but oh that was wow. a interesting scenario <laughs> uh if, uh, if you're just joining us, welcome to the Dr. Anonymous show. Our guest is uh, Dr. Lisa from the blog Call Me Dr. Lisa over on Blogspot. Um, and in our uh, remaining moments here, uh, I do want to ask you about a couple more issues here, uh, or a couple more posts, actually. Uh, on, on, this, uh, on your Dr. Lisa blog, you talk about your, uh, your trip to uh, Mongolia, and you have some uh, great pictures there. Uh, how did that trip come about? I... The hospital that I work at has a an affiliation with the Children's Hospital of Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, and they have been going and helping to support that hospital for about 14 years. And I, earlier in my training, spent a lot of time going to Nicaragua and doing some medical mission work on the Mosquito Coast of Nicaragua. And it was something I'd really been wanting to get back into doing. And there are a few people in the hospital that knew that I had this desire. And the head of the group approached me and said, we're putting together our group to go to Mongolia in September, and they really want a neonatologist to come because having some issues in their NICU, and we've never brought a neonatologist. Would you be interested in going? And I, yes, I'd be interested in going. <laughs> of course, it sounds great. Let me make sure that I can, you know, I can get the time. If I can get the time and make everything work, I'm, I'm in. So it was a group of about eight people who all work at my hospital that went over there, and the trip was about nine days in Ulaanbaatar. Wow. Primarily the mission, the, the group's mission is education of the physicians there. So we don't go there to treat patients per se, although occasionally they well bring, they well bring people to do specific procedures. But 
as opposed to other things that, that I have done, like the work I did in Nicaragua, we would go and like we would bring surgeons and fix you know 20 cleft lip and palates in a couple of days and that kind of stuff. This is more we go and we work on educating the doctors who are there and teaching them to be advocates for their their patients and their people. And that's the mission of the group, which I like because it's a much more sustainable mission and hopefully can make a significant impact in the healthcare in that in that developing country. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I'm, I'm looking at the the blog post now, and it's incredible <laughs> pictures there, uh, not only from a patient standpoint, but just from a tourist standpoint. I mean, just uh, just the the country and what it looks like, and uh, um, had to be a, a fascinating experience. I mean, just looking at some of the pictures here, the people look like, I mean, they're great people. It looks like you had a great time. Oh, it was it was a fantastic trip. We had a wonderful time, and we would. Work, and work hard all day and then do whatever it is we did overnight. We got to have a private meeting with the High Lama of Mongolia. He did a um, sort of private service with us where we spent about an hour talking to this guy about the uh, differences between Western and Eastern medicine and the ways that they could be complementary and the ways that he was working in um, working with the physicians there to encourage it to be complimentary, and then we all went out to dinner after that together with together with him. You know, we went and met people at the we went to the British Embassy and met a bunch of people who were there, a bunch of the expats who are in Mongolia doing whatever it is they're doing. Um, we went on hikes a couple of nights. It's actually a beautiful country. So aside from the medical aspect, it was really, it was an interesting trip in multiple other ways. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it gives you some perspective on, um, you know, how other people live, how other people do medicine, um, and it's different to kind of get out of our little box here in our country um, about how we do things and kind of see how, you know, other people do things. Absolutely. Um, so is there, um, uh, are there more kind of those um, trips or experiences in the works? Or I mean, I'm sure you would want to take advantage of, you know, going somewhere else, I would presume. Absolutely. I am always looking for other opportunities. My boss is supportive of me doing about one of these trips a year. It's about as much time as I can really get. Um, but he definitely is supportive of me doing them. And I, the Mongolia stuff is interesting. I like the fact it's through my hospitals. It's with people I know. Um, but I have a friend who works at Children's Hospital in Denver who has a relationship with the hospital in Nepal and has been doing, an, doing sort of a similar type of thing. They've just opened a new pediatric unit, and they have asked me to go. And they asked me to go for this year. I couldn't make it happen for this year. The Mongolia thing happened instead. But they'd like me to see if I could go next year. So I may see if I can make that happen, which would be a whole different set of experiences. So wow, I'm always that, looking for uh, something else. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll be looking forward to to reading your experiences on your blog. Uh, <laughs> you know, as as you have those experiences, because uh, the people in the chat room here, I mean, they they they've enjoyed your blog and uh, um, you know enjoyed you sharing your experiences. Um, I guess my last question here, it's on your front page here, and uh, um, and uh, you went to your uh, 20-year high school uh, reunion. Uh, well, what was that experience like? Oh, yes. It was interesting. I came very, very close to not going, and I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to high school um, and, the, and those people and that high school experience wasn't my the best wasn't the best time in my life. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, I gathered up the courage and I went, and I had a really lovely time. the The people that I got along with in high school are still really good people. I reconnected with a couple of friends who I had just lost touch with over you know years of my moving all over the country doing my own training that I've reconnected with and seen several times since now, which is great. And, you know, discovered that some of the other people that I didn't really know were really good people. It was it was interesting. It was much more fun than I thought it would be. Really? So, you know, I'm not, I still don't want to, would never in a million years, you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to high school, but <laughs> <laughs> it was more fun than I expected it to be. Uh, I'm uh, I'm with you there. My, my 20th is next year, uh, so I want to get some insight on this deal because at this point, right now, I am not going. Okay. <laughs> Which is probably where you are at, and then probably sometime in the next six months, I'll be like, oh, maybe I will. And, yeah. And, you know, exactly. and, and, and I'm so lazy that you know I I I live in the town you know close to where I went to high school, so it's not like I have to get on a plane to go to my reunion. I'm just like have to decide if I'm going to drive, you know, the 45 minutes <laughs> to go to the reunion. So that's, that's how lame I am. Well, if you can get there by driving, you should go. I think <laughs> So there, there's one vote for me to go. So I, I'll, probably, I'll, I'll probably be sharing that on my blog, my experience as far as should I or shouldn't I, and uh, so that'll be fun to do. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Dr. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. It's, it's, it's been a delight talking with you. Um, and uh, it's a, this was this was a lot of fun. I, I want to again thank Ramona for for making the suggestion for you to come on the show. And uh, I'll definitely be uh, be keeping track of your blog, especially you know when you when you take your next Mongolian trip. That's just fascinating uh, for me to read things like that. Thank you. It's been fun. Uh, so you have any uh, any closing thoughts for us here uh, this evening here before uh, before I let you go? Uh, we've talked about a lot. I can't believe this uh, this hour has went by so quickly. I know. Uh, I don't know that I have any grand closing thoughts. Uh, well, great. Uh, well, th- thank you so much for coming on. Uh, your blog is called callmedrlisa.blogspot.com. Uh, and uh, Tale of My Left Foot, you can get there t- uh, uh, going to the number one and then goodfoot.blogspot.com, the Tale of My Left Foot, My Journey Dealing with Liposacroma in the ankle. So uh, it's been, it's been great talking with you. We have to have to bring you back and just kind of, uh, maybe with your next Mon- Mongolian trip, we'll bring you back and, uh, um, you know, kind of share with that experience. So I can, I can live vicariously through you. <laughs> well, we can try. <laughs> I can try to 
give enough information that we can that you can do so. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks a lot, Dr. Lisa. It's been great Thank having you. you on the show, and uh, take care. All right. Good night. All right, kids. So uh, uh, that is uh, Dr. Lisa. It was great talking with her, and uh, I encourage you to check out her blog there. Check check out. Uh, um, you know, check them out, read them. Uh, it is uh, it is good stuff. Uh, but we are not done here on the Doctor Anonymous show. Here, I will. I have a little bit of uh, things to talk. I'm going to dish here a little bit about our good friend, Doctor Rob, right here after the break. Uh, you're listening to the Doctor Anonymous show live right here on Block Talk Radio. We will be right back. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous Show, live on Blog Talk Radio, curing that pesky rash, just with the sound of my voice. I just want to give you a little heads up on uh, the coming shows here. Uh, My next show will be on Saturday, December 5th, 2009, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday night with Dr. A, and I'll be covering some topics. They're basically a week in review all about me because it's my show. Uh, I I was on uh, television here earlier this week on local TV news. I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, And there was a blog post here that I'll talk about Saturday, but I'll give you a little bit of a heads up here. My good friend, Dr. V, and it says here, doctors in social media shouldn't be anonymous. And uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, And we'll talk about uh, the Senate, the U.S. Senate, taking up the health care reform bill, blah, uh, and also uh, a, a news story this week that we'll talk about on Saturday, the, uh, the task force. Remember those task force people that uh, made those pesky mammogram recommendations? They said <laughs> they had a press conference this week, and they said, uh, oops, <laughs> whoops, we didn't know we were going to get such a backlash about this deal. <laughs> so, we'll, so we'll talk about that. One week from tonight. Uh, Thursday, December 10th, 2009, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, we will have our good friend Jared on the show. He is from MyRT Life, and uh, he's out on Twitter. And uh, he's been on the show before talking about his blog, Surviving RT School, uh, writings of a CNA with a passion for emergency medicine turned RT student. And uh, he'll be coming on uh, just to say hello and kind of uh, see what he's doing here uh, these days. So uh, so a couple of good shows coming up here in the next uh, week or so, so stay tuned for that. You can get all the information at dranonymous.com. Uh, so let's uh, – so I do want to talk about here our good friend Dr. Rob at the distractible.org, musings of a distractible mind. 
And he had a blog post yesterday and uh, called uh, Real Life from December 2, 2009. It has already already garnered a uh, 31 comments. Uh, and I will read this here with you. Uh, real life happens. I have overall tried to keep my blog somewhat independent of what goes on in real life. I have done so uh, for mo- uh, blah, 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 for the most of the, for the past three and a half years, but I am tired now. My obsession with keeping enough of you visiting is not strong enough to keep me writing things of substantial quality. That's the thing about blogs. They are personal. My blog talks about what I experience as a physician and a guy who lives in Georgia. I talk about what I feel, think, and what my experiences mean to me. If something uh, hits me during the day, I write about it, even if it's absurd or obtuse. It's my blog, and I can do what I want. But now my life has sucked most of the energy out of me. I hear a lot of this from my physician colleagues. I am a guy who happens to be a doctor and a normal guy, uh, and normal guys don't get to pick how things happen. I may be blogging tomorrow. I may not for, for a while. It depends on what I feel and what goes on. I know I'm being cryptic. I am hiding things from you because all writing does, blogging only puts forth what I want people to see. I will not willingly shame myself or others, so I will leave you in the dark. But the goal is not to get sympathy or pats on the back. All I want to do is simply get, uh, simply let all of you know that I am normal, and normal isn't always a great thing to be. You are my friends, and I owe you this explanation. And, uh, yeah, already has garnered 31 comments, you know, Mostly, well, actually, maybe I even say all of them are supportive um, of our good friend, uh, Dr. Rob. And uh, I definitely uh, relate to uh, what, where he's at, where he's going. And uh, uh, I support him. And, uh, you know, everybody needs a break every once in a while. Uh, and, you know, even me, I haven't... I haven't regularly blogged for, I don't know, a year or more. I remember uh, when I started blogging, I would I would write something every day, sometimes two times a day, uh, because I was very excited about it. I was very excited about it. I wanted to express myself. I wanted to explore my, my talents or limited talents as a writer. Uh, and that was fun. And uh, it got uh, it got busy. Uh, it got uh, tiring, it got exhausting to come up with original stuff, uh, original creative uh, stuff to write about, and things kind of started trailing off uh, as time went on. Uh, and for me, you know, every probably every few months, I would uh, take what I would call a blog break. Uh, you can probably do a search on DrAnonymous.com on the various blog breaks that I have taken, and I thought they were very refreshing to me to kind of start over and uh, come up with some new ideas. But when that didn't work, I started uh, you know, experimenting with other type of formats like this podcast here. Um, and as of right now, this podcast is, real, is still kind of driving me uh, and uh, you know, uh, uh, still uh, – uh, 
giving me gratification. So I will continue doing this. I've also, as you know, by going to DrAnonymous.com, has started experimenting with some video, whether it's uh, video blogging um, or some other type of things. Uh, but writing, um, I haven't had the time to write. Um, but uh, at the end of this month, at the end of this calendar year, my schedule should be opening up there a little bit um, with uh, some some work responsibilities being relieved. Not anything serious. It's just uh, uh, just uh, uh, finishing some projects that I have been doing over the past uh, couple of years, and that'll be fun to uh, to probably maybe even get back into writing again, which I miss. Uh, terribly, uh, and uh, to craft a blog post that is always very gratifying uh, to craft the words, uh, to craft the format about how uh, you want something presented, sometimes finding a picture somewhere on the, on the Internet to put on your blog post. Uh, I miss doing that because I didn't have the time uh, to do that, <laughs> but uh, hopefully uh, as next year comes, as January comes, I will uh, uh, be able to uh, to do that again. Uh, so uh, good luck there, Dr. Rob. Um, I encourage you to read his stuff. You know, it's uh, even though he's not uh, producing any new stuff, he has a lot of great great stuff that he's written in the past. Uh, you can go there to distractible dot org. Very funny guy. Um, I got to meet him in person um, a couple of months ago um, at Blog World in Las Vegas. Uh, and he is the same person <laughs> that he, in person, in the flesh, that he is on his blog. Uh, there is no uh, hiding that. I encourage you also to uh, check out his uh, podcast. I've been trying to get him on the show here to talk about his podcast, but with his uh, schedule and things, it's been very difficult for him. But I do want to help promote that for him. Uh, it is a house called Dr. Uh, quick and Dirty Tips for Taking Charge of Your Health, part of the Quick and Dirty Tips series. Uh, and it is huge. I mean, if you go to iTunes, I mean, he is, uh, I think, in the health category, uh, he is uh, he is up there. I mean, uh, I think he's in the top, uh, top 30, top 25, top 20 of um, all podcasts in that category, uh, which means he is getting, has to be getting huge um, amounts of downloads uh, so uh, certainly congratulate him on that success. Uh, so um, I think that's it. I think I'm going to be closing up here early uh, here uh, this evening, um, and uh, I'll be talking to you again about my uh, about my up- upcoming uh, shows here. And uh, I am debating on whether to do a short post show. I will I will throw this into the chat room here. Um, and if people want me to do a post-show, I can do that for a little bit. Um, I will wait for the delay <laughs> of me saying it and it getting out there on the Internet. Uh, but uh, as I close up with the show here, I do want to thank my guest, Dr. Lisa. And you can go to her blog, call me Dr. Lisa, call me drlisa.blogspot.com. And I encourage you to check out her post uh, when she went to Mongolia. It is good from a personal standpoint, from a tourist standpoint, from a professional standpoint. That is good reading there. And also check out her uh, other blog, uh, which is completed, but it's still out there. It's great reading. Uh, Tale of My Left Foot, My Journey Dealing with Liposarcoma, which is a cancer, uh, in the ankle. And you can go there to uh, the number one 
and then goodfoot.blogspot.com. Uh, you can get also those links at dranonymous.com. And uh, my next show here will be Saturday night, uh, December 5th, 2009, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday night with Dr. A. We'll be going for an hour, getting you ready for the uh, Indian Borough Live show here on Blog Talk Radio on Saturday night, the flagship show here on Saturday nights here. I encourage you to check that out at 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll be uh, talking about some... Uh, some fun stuff there on the Saturday Night Show. And uh, one week from tonight, Thursday, December 10th, 2009, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, our good friend Jared from uh, the blog Surviving RT School. And uh, we'll be catching up with him and uh, kind of seeing uh, what is uh, uh, going on uh, there. So, uh, so, yeah, I want to give some more shout-outs here. The Lama 80 Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. Lama 80 is coming back. They took a break for the Thanksgiving Day weekend, uh, but they'll be back on Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can get there uh, by going to blogtalkradio.com slash Lama 80. And uh, sometimes I call into that show, and uh, I get kind of... Uh, uh, I get kind of nuts over there, so so check that out. I also want to give a shout-out here to our good friend Kat from Faith Ignited, uh, and she just released a new show uh, this week. You can get there to uh, blogtalkradio.com slash faith-ignited. She was on the show here, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, talking about her new project there. And, of course, the Annie Burrow Live Show, Wednesdays and Saturday nights at 10 p.m., Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. And I think that's it. I'm going to be closing up here early this evening. I hope all of you had a good uh, holiday weekend, uh, good uh, Thanksgiving. And if you weren't able to catch the Dr. Anonymous pre-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving show, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, that was fun to do. Uh, and you can go there to uh, Anonymous.com to check that out. Um, I think that's it, kids. Uh, let me find a song here to take us out. And, uh, yes, I will be doing a, a post show here, and I will be putting the link up here for the people in the, uh, in the chat room. People already know it already, but I will be putting it in here, uh, dranonymous.tv, and I will be there right after this show here. And uh, what I'll do is I will... Uh, pick out the song here, and we will be done. So thanks a lot for everybody for joining me here this evening. Let me give a one more shout-out here to my chat room, who has hung with me through the entire show here, Agent Merv Bongi. Shout-out to Bongi there. Good morning to you, sir. We have Cat from Faith Ignited. Frickin' Ben with a Q. Girl007, Jabulani. Good morning to Jabulani. Uh, J-Man, Ramona, Scanman, good morning to Scanman, and The Burl. So I am Dr. Anonymous. You can go to dranonymous.com, dranonymous.net, dranonymous.org. We're done, kids. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 